know we just prayed, but I, I would like for us to pray again. Hold tight to your Bibles. We have a few scriptures to go over. But particularly for this message, let's, let's ask God for a, a spirit of grace and wisdom. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We are excited to be under the ministry of the word. And we pray for what Paul prayed, that you may grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, speak to our hearts. Uh, let this not just sit in our minds, but Lord, highlight our lives. Highlight the areas of our lives that need to change, the things that need to increase, the things that need to decrease. Lord, we pray that this message would be free from confusion. It would be crystal clear. It would be applicable, and it would literally change the way we live as your people. We desperately need your help this morning, and we are thrilled to be called your children. Father, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know what's amazing about the Word of God is that not only do we get insight about how to understand the afterlife and how to attain it, it's very practical. In other words, the Scripture, God, is not just concerned about how to get you to heaven, though that is of utmost importance. God wants all of us to have His presence forever through Christ, but you can't fail to see that through this Bible, God is also concerned about how you and I live this life. And not just how we live this life, how you and I can succeed in this life. Success. Not the way the world defines it, though. Because when we hear success, many things come to mind. But there is a success that God wants you and I to attain. And if there's any definition of what it means to be successful in this life, it can be defined this way. That you and I would know how to live in such a way that every decision is able to glorify God. And through glorifying God, there's two results. We increase our joy and we shield ourselves from unnecessary evils. That is true success. How through every step I can give him glory and there I can experience a joy and there I can assure myself a protection. And we hear that definition and we go, I get glorifying God. Yes, according to the Bible, that makes sense. Live successfully according to God is to glorify Him, sure. And to not do certain things that would hurt me and hurt my testimony. But you know where people have most trouble? It's that joy part. You're telling me that God actually wants me to have joy in this life? You're telling me that God actually wants me to experience a supernatural happiness in this life? And you're telling me that the means to that joy is actually glorifying God. Absolutely, because it's not what I say. It's what Jesus said in the common verse of John 15, 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. My joy, a supernatural joy, a divine joy, a heavenly joy, that kind of joy would be in you in this life and that you would know it to the full. I can know that kind of a joy in this life. I can experientially testify that there's no greater thrill than to tap into that kind of wealth. And the means to that, again, is obedience. But we think that when Jesus says, these things I have commanded to you is for your joy, we've limited these things to what? Pray, read your Bible, and evangelize. If you want to know true joy, obey these commands. What commands? Pray, read your Bible, and evangelize. 
that's partly true. That's a big part of it. Can we be honest this morning? There's much more to life than that. Life is a little bit more complex than that. Those things are included in our life, but those things don't highlight every aspect of life. We all have responsibilities. We all have jobs or pursuing a job or pursuing an education to get a job. We all have different levels of relationship, some romantic, friendships, family relationships. We all have finances to manage and deal with. We're living in a culture that preaches a different kind of joy to attain. We're living in a day in which we are facing temptation, not just by, by daily means, but second by second. Life is much more complex because we got to navigate through all these little details. So then it begs the question, what's God's answer for me to navigate through life with all its unforeseen circumstances and with all its complexities? Is there an answer for me? To know how I can tap into a joy through all of these things. And the answer to that burning question is absolutely yes. And the way in which we can know true success in life through all of these matters is something that the Bible categorizes as a word that we see often. And it is called wisdom. Get wisdom. For us to walk in success through all these complexities, the Bible gives us the answer, and it's in that word that starts with W. Yeah, that's right. How to act, how to manage, how to respond to the different things of this life requires something known as wisdom, and the Bible's not shy of mentioning that. Now, we hear the word wisdom. We've even ascribed that attribute to some people that we know. That person is a wise person. That man is a wise man. That lady is a wise lady. But what does it really mean? There's a premium on wisdom in the Bible, and it is of great importance to understand what it actually means for us. And I think where the greatest confusion comes from when it, under, when it comes to understanding wisdom is that most people confuse it with what we know as knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. Wisdom requires knowledge. But people have knowledge and don't have wisdom. Knowledge can be simply defined as information that I receive through education or experience. As I grow in life, I, I gain knowledge naturally. As I set myself in a season of life to study, I will acquire knowledge as a result. But wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge. Wisdom is when somebody applies knowledge appropriately in a way, again, that will glorify God, that will open me up to a path of life, and that will protect me from foolishness and unnecessary woes. That's wisdom. So here's a funny way of explaining it. Knowledge is to acknowledge that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom says you don't put it in a fruit salad. Knowledge says this is how you use a gun. Wisdom says this is when you pull it out and this is when you keep it covered. Knowledge says this is how much I know about politics. Wisdom says this is probably not the best time to talk about this subject. 
Knowledge says, I am right in this conversation. Wisdom says, I'm, I'm not going to argue about this in front of people. I'm going to have this conversation another time. And so we see that it's the appropriate application of knowledge in a way that will most glorify God, open me up to a path of life, and shield me from unnecessary woes. And this kind of wisdom is important. And you might be thinking, every example that you just gave doesn't sound very spiritual. But you know what God is concerned about? He's concerned about the little things as much as the big things. And God wants his children who live in a practical world to understand how to live it in the most successful way. And I have to say that there are many people who have knowledge but lack wisdom. There are many people who have developed a reservoir of data. Listen to this, even biblical information. And it's possible to have those things, to be even a walking textbook and to be very, very limited in social skills. To be very, very limited in understanding how you finance and manage your money. Uh, to have a lack of sense of timing. Not, I'm not talking about being punctual. I'm talking about saying the right thing at the right time. Not saying it in the wrong context or in the wrong tone or in the wrong place or to the wrong person. Many people have knowledge about current events. Maybe people have knowledge about ancient things, but don't know how to plan for their future. Don't know how to prepare themselves for the days ahead. They're living in the moment, day by day. Many people know a lot, but they have no work ethic. And the Bible is really practical, brothers and sisters, very practical. And in fact, this is something that we see in one book of the Bible more clear than anything. That's the book of Proverbs. If we want to see how God is concerned about the little details of our lives, all we need to do is come to that book. But not only does the book speak about wisdom, how to appropriately apply things in and through our lives, the Bible praises it. And I think, if we're honest with ourselves, perhaps it praises it more than we actually praise wisdom. So if you have your Bible, see how the Bible exalts wisdom in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. What is the goal of today's message? Listen, Christians, if you're a true Christian, we have saving faith. But we want to also be Christians who have saving wisdom. Wisdom that saves us from practical faults. We don't want to be just concerned about how my soul is saved to get to heaven. We want to make sure that between now and heaven, we live life successfully. Look at Proverbs 3.13. See what the Bible says. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. And the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver. And her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing, listen to this, nothing you desire can compare with her. That is amazing. What the word here is saying is wisdom is to be pursued more than what this world is pursuing. That is material achievement, gold, jewels, silver. And the scripture says here that happiness 
greater happiness comes from gaining wisdom than these things. Because the word blessed can be translated as simply happy. Every time you see the word blessed, it means happy. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. More than if I get gold, more than if, more than if I find a treasure chest, more than if I win the lottery, yes. How can that be? Because what wisdom offers concerning the quality of happiness is greater than the temporary, listen, purpose, the temporary pleasures, the temporary reputation that you might find in achieving greater wealth. The quality of life that a person receives in attaining wisdom is greater than the quality of life that you can receive from having as much money as you want. That's what the Bible is saying. That's a quite astounding thing to say about wisdom. This quality, this divine attribute is to be sought after more than anything else. Because if you think about it, what good does it have to have money in the hands of a fool? That doesn't mean much. But for a person who has wisdom, they can navigate through this life in such a way that money can't buy. Why is it so esteemed? Because wisdom is a key that unlocks a treasure chest filled with blessings. And we can spend not just today. In fact, to cover all of it in one message would do a disservice to the topic of wisdom. But if we can just create categories of what happens, at least general categories of what comes from a person who attains, who finds this, it's supposed to be found, it's supposed to be searched, it's supposed to be sought after. When somebody gets it, what they will get is these things and grow in these things. If you're taking notes, please note that wisdom primarily will provide a protection from destructive decisions. Wisdom will provide a protection from destructive decisions. A lot of Christians making stupid decisions in life. And wisdom provides that shield. Still in Proverbs, go to chapter 2 and see in verse 10 with me what it says. Look what happens when wisdom comes into your life. For wisdom will come into your heart. That's where it's supposed to rest. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion, now look what happens, will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, and verse 12 says the first part, delivering you from the way of evil. Something happens to a man when wisdom is received in his heart. And one of the things that happens is this. Wisdom, as it is deposited in the soul of a man, creates a discernment to see the dangers in situations that are cloaked by deception. Let me say that one more time. When wisdom comes into a man's heart, it creates a discernment that is able to see past situations that are cloaked by deception. It's a powerful thing. Wisdom gives you x-ray vision in this life. And so many examples in the book of Proverbs and throughout the Bible testify to this power. But we see it in the same chapter of Proverbs. In verse 16, look what it says. It says here again in the context that when you walk in wisdom, something will happen. And what will happen? Here's one thing. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. 
So we talked about how when wisdom comes into the heart, you'll be delivered from the way of evil. Here's one way of evil that you'll be delivered from when you walk in wisdom. Is that it will see past seduction. It will see past the pleasure that something will offer in the moment. Wisdom will speak to your heart even while it is being persuaded by another voice to convince you to come into something that is contrary to your convictions. So when things are presented and try to pull us into a different direction, what you will have is wisdom whispering in your ear. Don't go there. Look past this. See past this. Understand the reality of this. See, a person who lacks wisdom, the Bible gives a contrary description. Two things that we see in Proverbs. The opposite of wisdom is what? What do we see? Another word. Fool. And there's another word called the simple. So if we're not walking in wisdom, we're either foolish or we're simple. And simple simply means one who buys into anything. A gullible individual that believes anything. That, that does not see consequences to actions. That just lives for their appetite and doesn't consider their ways. So a simple person that would be facing this kind of situation, we read it later on in Proverbs chapter 6 and 7. We see how a young man is led by the same type of woman and it says there in the description that he does not know that he is being led like an ox to his slaughter. That's a simple individual. That's a foolish. But wisdom comes like a coach into your life and begins to speak to your heart even while somebody's trying to speak to you with smooth words. Wisdom is a way in which you and I can escape seemingly harmless moves in life. But wisdom goes beyond that. Look at chapter 5. And see what it says here in verse 8. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Keep your way far, far from her. Do not even go near the door. Well, you know what it's saying here? That wisdom not only provides you the ability to slip out of temptation when it presents itself to you. Look what wisdom does. Wisdom even gives you the ability to not put yourself in a situation that would demand that kind of escape in the first place. So wisdom does help us in times of surprising temptation, but wisdom goes even beyond that by guiding you in life, by not placing yourself in environments that would even bring you to that place of temptation. Wisdom is a wonderful thing. It's an internal GPS for the soul. And to have this kind of wisdom is a great protection because the positive side of it, go back to chapter 2, verse 20, and see what wisdom provides for a man in verse 20. So you, so you will walk in the way of good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. Oh, this would have been very precious to the ears of a modern Israelite who had heard these words. And if you, you're here on Fridays, you realize that we are studying the book of Deuteronomy and everything about the book of Deuteronomy is about something known as the promised land. This will, I hope this will help you understand many of the blessings in the book of Proverbs. Everything about Deuteronomy is about the people attaining and remaining in the promised land. That's what we've been studying these past few weeks. And the promised land, just as a reminder, signifies God's will, perfect will for his 
purpose and pleasure in his people to be experienced. To be in the promised land is to be in the center of God's will and to know all the blessings that are involved with that. And so Solomon, knowing that, that that's what the promised land signifies, often in the book of Proverbs, reminds his people that the righteous will inherit and remain in the land. We go, land, what does that got to do with me? Well, we have to understand the context. It signifies his perfect will. And the wicked who are foolish and simple will not remain in the land. They will be exiled. They will be kicked out. So whenever you come upon that promise of a land, you go, am I going to get real estate? No. It's about understanding the context of an Israelite that knew what the promised land meant to them and how it was God's desire for them and the wisdom walk in it and stay in it. That's fascinating because in Deuteronomy the past few weeks, all we've been discovering is do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, and you will know something about remaining in the center of his will. And Solomon categorizes all of those commands, categorizes all those conditions to know how to stay in God's perfect will under this. Just get wisdom. Get wisdom. And you'll be safe. And you'll be able to interpret all these other things that will keep you anchored in the center of God's will. Wisdom provides a protection from destructive decisions. It is wise people that maintain a healthy and vibrant marriage. It is wise people that know how to not just start in ministry, but finish ministry, listen, scandal-free. It is wise people who know how to stay out of debt in life financially. It is wise people who know how to develop a trustworthy reputation based on their day-to-day conversation and conduct with other individuals. Wise people know something of sustaining God's pleasure and purpose in their days. Wisdom not only protects us from destructive decisions, wisdom, secondly, polishes our character in every detail. Wisdom polishes our character in every detail. Listen, Christianity is a faith that affects the whole man. To believe that Christianity affects my soul and it doesn't influence every aspect of my existence is a faulty view of Christianity. When you come into saving faith, you put yourself in a potter's wheel for God to mold you and shape you exactly the way he wants, from the crown of your head down to the soles of your feet. And God's means of doing that for his people is something through wisdom. It steers the Christian into his desired direction. And again, what seems to be insignificant habits and choices that we make. What you're going to see here is six verses in Proverbs. And here's just an example of what I'm talking about. In just six verses, you're going to see multiple ways in which a wise person talks. And what's, what's is really, is it that important? It's so important. Life and death come from the tongue, you know. So go to Proverbs, chapter 25, verse 9. We're going to bullet point through these. But just to get an idea of what we're speaking about when, he, when we talk about polishing our character in every detail of life. Proverbs 29, verse 9. We see, we see here that the wise man kind of goes on a rant about speech. 
Look what it says here in verse 9. Argue your case with your neighbor himself. And do not reveal another secret. Lest he who hears you bring shame upon you. And your ill repute have no end. What is the goal of the Christian? Are we not trying to win people through our reputation as ambassadors of Christ? Look what Proverbs says. Argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another secret. Verse 9 simply tells this. Keep an issue as private and small as possible. And learn something about confidentiality with your mouth. Okay. Then I go in verse 10, verse 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Knowing what to say and how and when to say it is beautiful and life-giving and breathtaking almost. So now we shift not just about confidentiality and privacy. Now we're talking about a word fitly spoken. See, it's not just about the right things. It's about when and how you say it. A word fitly spoken. Then I read on. I see the standard is not stopping there. I go to verse 12. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Then it comes to about how I should rebuke somebody and how I should correct somebody with my mouth. And what does it say here? That you are able to do it in a way with, again, the right timing, the right tone, the right setting. And not only that, you're able to discern when somebody has a listening ear. You're able to know how long to carry on a conversation based on somebody who's willing to receive what you have to say or not. Jesus made it plain and clear that we don't throw our pearls to swine. But wisdom is needed to know how to do that. Wisdom is needed to know how to have a conversation, how long to have the conversation. What to keep to yourself and what to give to another person. It doesn't even end there. What does it say here in verse 13? Like the cloud of snow, cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger of those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. Now it's talking about faithfulness in your speech. And this is particular for those who are messengers on behalf of God that you take his word and you deliver it faithfully. You don't compromise it. You don't shift it. You don't add. You don't take. You give it as it is. And that can be used for us as well even though we're not preachers here. That we take somebody from somebody else's statement or somebody else's word and we, we represent them faithfully to another individual. We don't twist somebody else's word to gain advantage in our own life or to make somebody else think something else of that person. Then we come to another one, verse 14. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. So now we come to another way of speech, and it's this. Don't make false assumptions or promises about something or someone you are when you're not really that. And don't give a word to somebody and then don't deliver. It's as useless as a cloud coming with no rain that's going to come as a result. So just in six verses, we have multiple ways in which we are instructed on how to use our speech. And it should overwhelm us. Think about that. All those different ways that I am to use my tongue alone. We haven't covered the other parts of our lives. And you think, why is this given to us? Because it calls us to realize, I can't do this. I can't do this. I need something greater in my life to manage my own tongue. 
And this is why wisdom throughout this book, we see wisdom personified as a woman that says, come to me. And it's in contrast to another woman that's presented in the, in the Bible as woman folly. And you have two women that are persuading what the context is, a father speaking to his son. And you have wisdom calling and you have folly calling. Which one is he going to get into? Which one is he going to give his heart to? And so as I read these standards, I go, are you kidding me? This, you want me to manage my speech to that degree? And it, the call is yes, the standard is yes, and it's also an invitation to say you can't do it on your own. You need a divine heavenly deposit from God known as wisdom to be able to do so successfully. So this is just one example of how my character is polished by wisdom. Foolish people don't care about their character. They don't care about their reputation. Listen, to say I don't care what people think is only true in light of the fact that when you're walking in holiness and righteousness. To say I don't care what people think and you're not saying that in light of the fact that you're walking with Jesus and you don't care what people think about your standard, that's not the way we understand that. We should care what people think. That's, that's a terrible idea. I don't care what people think, so I'm going to shoot my mouth off the way I want. I'm going to live how I want. I'm going to dress how I want. Say, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we have to be careful about how we do things in life. And when it comes to people pushing against our biblical gospel standards, that's when we say, I obey God rather than man. So when we say, I don't care what people think, what we're hopefully saying is, as I'm following Jesus, whether people like it or not, that's up to them. Not, this is my character, and I, you just take it or leave it. Love me or hate me. Oh, no, 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 no. We represent Christ, and we need wisdom to do so. You know what I also see in the Bible? I see no excuse for personality being a reason for why somebody doesn't walk in wisdom. Oh, this is just the way I am. That doesn't mean anything. In fact, the more we say that, the more we have to understand Jesus says, that's the way you are? Go die on the cross. Die to yourself and get wisdom. From everything to the way we look with our eyes, to the way we speak with our mouths, what we do with our wallets, what we do with everything, pertain to the details of our life. Now we're coming to a third treasure within the treasure chest that wisdom unlocks. I love this one. We talked about protection from destructive decisions. Beautiful. We talked about a polishing of my character in every sphere of life. Astounding. But there's something that wisdom offers that is unique in its gift. And it is this, that it provides divine guidance in difficult situations. Divine guidance in difficult situations. You know what I mean by that? I mean that wisdom provides direction. And wisdom provides leading in circumstances that the Bible does not have a chapter and verse for. Might have just shocked you there. What wisdom does, it, it, it plays a role in leading us in situations in life that we can't necessarily find in our Bibles pertaining to a dilemma that we're facing. There are things in life that are unique. There are things in life that we can't necessarily find a reference for and an answer for. And God, this is not undermining the sufficiency of Scripture. In fact, Scripture gives us the answer for those things in our lives. And it's called get wisdom. And if we don't believe that truth, for those that love our Scripture and says, no, the Bible 
We can find every answer pertaining to every, yes, that's true. But the answer to the things in which are unique in our lives that we don't have a reference for is in the Bible, and it's get wisdom. So what does that mean? We go to a man outside of the person of Jesus Christ who is known as the wisest person who ever lived. And this person was taking the role of his father in ruling a nation. And when he was asked by God, what is one thing that you want from me? He, without hesitation, asked for wisdom. I need the ability to not just retain knowledge, but apply it righteously and in a way that will open myself up and my nation to, to life and a protection from unnecessary evils. And we know the story, right? He, he asked for it, and God promised to give it. He wakes up from the dream. That's in 1 Kings chapter 3. And what I love about that chapter is that halfway through, we see it implemented in a real-life story. How does God implement wisdom through Solomon as he deposited in his heart? This is how it happens. You've probably read the story. Where as soon as he wakes up from the dream and he comes and he offers more sacrifices as a thanksgiving to God for giving him what he asked. Tells us two prostitutes approached him. Two prostitutes approached him, and this was the scenario. They both lived in the same house. And when they were both living in the same house, they both gave birth to babies individually within the same week. And what happens is, one held her baby while sleeping, and the other did the same. But the one prostitute laid on her child and killed the baby. So the prostitute wakes up, takes her dead child, replaces it, with the other child that the woman had while sleeping and takes her living child and brings it to herself only for the other woman to wake up to a dead baby and her having her child. So they approach Solomon and you have two women with a baby on the scene, both claiming that this is their child. And here's Solomon, freshly given wisdom by God. And what happens? As he's about to make a judgment, he has to make a difficult decision. And you know what Solomon doesn't do? He doesn't call one of his servants to come, open up the book of Deuteronomy, and find the part where it says, when two prostitutes come and one killed a baby and the other one has the living baby, which one should receive the baby? What does he do? 1 Kings 3 tells us, verse 24, And the king said, Bring me a sword. Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. If you haven't read the story, that's not where it ends. What happens here is that you see one of the women hearing this verdict, and her heart bursting with love for her child explode with her own verdict and saying, If that is the conclusion, then take the baby and give it to her. And the other one was arguing against it. He says, no, let's do it. Let's cut the baby in half. And the king said, the one that wanted to give it up is the mother. And it says, all of Israel heard of the wisdom that Solomon operated and realized that it was a wisdom given by God. Because it exposed deception and it implemented righteousness. And where did that come from? It wasn't chapter and verse. Now, hear me very carefully. I know this is being recorded and things, and this can be chopped up in a way. I am not saying that the Bible is not a place that we run to for answers. It is. But what I am saying is that when it comes to gaps, to certain circumstances that are unique, 
the filling of that gap is something that the Bible preaches and teaches, and it's wisdom, divinely inspired instruction. And that's what you and I need. Because when we go through life, you're going to have different opportunities. You're going to face different situations. You're going to have different promotions. You're going to have different relationships. And it will require, it will require discernment and an ability to make a judgment that we can't necessarily find ink in page four. And it is from God. And it is something that we can ask from God. And this is where we're coming to here. We can go throughout the Bible to see how wisdom is implemented in real life affairs. I think about the men in the scriptures that were used mightily by God. Joseph, Daniel, Ezra, Paul himself were all men described as men who possessed wisdom. I love that. Because you think of Joseph and you think of Daniel who are working in secular fields. And even a watching world realized that they had the ability to make decisions and judgments that were almost supernatural. You need this even if you're not in ministry. You need this at your 9 to 5. You need this as you're starting your business. You need this as you're in the outside world. We should not be offering the world a gospel with foolish lives. We should not be offering a world a gospel that doesn't affect our character. And wisdom is the answer. So here's the final part of this message as we close in a moment. If that is what wisdom is, and we've just scratched the surface of what it offers, how can I get it? And how can I grow in it? And I believe there isn't just one answer to that. I believe there are multiple ways. There's a foundation and there's something that you build on it. So here's the first thing. If wisdom is attractive to you, because wisdom cannot be attractive to some people. That's what the book of Proverbs is about. You have people who don't care about knowledge. You have people that don't care about thinking about these things. They just want to live for pleasure and they, wanna, they have wisdom in their own eyes. But if you want God's wisdom, because there's a worldly wisdom that's foolish. If you want God's wisdom in your life, the first thing you and I need is to lay the foundation, and it's known as this, the fear of God. Listen, if we don't have the fear of God, we don't have wisdom, at least God's wisdom. And you and I cannot even begin to ask God for wisdom before we have asked him for the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9, 10 tells us the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. As one said it, fearing God is the ABCs to wisdom. It's, the, it's literally the first steps into walking in genuine, heavenly, divine discretion. What's the connection? What's the connection between fearing God and me receiving wisdom? Here's the connection. Part of fearing God is when you realize that the Lord himself is fully observant, aware, listening, present of your thoughts, of your deeds, private and public. When you live with that understanding that God is here now, God is with you wherever you go, God sees you, it will shape and form the way you make choices. It will shape and form the way you make decisions. You know, there's a lot of talk lately about how the government might be spying on us. You probably experienced this. You talk about something with a friend. You're having a conversation. 
It's not even about searching for the thing. You can even be talking about it. Then you go on your social media, and the thing that you talked about is showing up on your page as an ad. And now everybody's talking about this fear about how people are spying on us, and people are listening into our conversations, and people are seeing what I'm interested in. And you know what I thought to myself in that? It's amazing how many people are fearful and aware of the government or of these brands that are aware of what we're speaking about and what we're thinking about. And we have little to no understanding of how God is so much more aware, so much more present, so much more near. I'm astounded. People are talking about like, it's crazy how my phone is picking up on what I'm saying and presenting the thing and showing me what I'm saying. How much more God? Don't be more impressed with your iPhone than with the almighty, all-present God. Don't be more fearful about what you're saying and talking and discussing and searching with your iPhone than about God who sees and knows all things. When I have the fear of God, that lays the base for me to be able to live a certain way with my life and to receive from God and obey God and trust God. Ask the Lord for the fear of Him. A reverence, an awe, an appreciation, an acknowledgement of His character and His person that will begin to steer you in the right way. Once you have the fear of God, you and I can now begin to do the second thing, and that's ask God for wisdom. Because to have the foundation is great, but wisdom requires growth, and it's something that we grow in. Especially, as we just mentioned, as we grow in this life, as things begin to change in this life, as we begin to open other doors in lives, and God opens other doors, we need to be able to, in different contexts, in different seasons, ask for a greater growth in wisdom. That's exactly what Solomon did. He was approaching another season of life, and he, he realized that he needed something that he didn't have before. And so he humbled himself before God and says, Lord, just give me this because I'm going to fail. I'm going to fall on my face. And so it is with you and I. That whatever God grants us in this life, we have every right to come to him and ask for this thing called wisdom, and he will richly provide it to us. The scripture says in Proverbs 2.6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He's the primary source. Listen, wisdom is not something that you can get at a seminary. Wisdom is not something that you can get four years at a school on a piece of paper that you're going to frame one day. That's not where wisdom comes from. The primary source of wisdom is God himself. And listen to this. God is able to take this thing called wisdom and directly deposit it in your heart. So many times, as we just even prayed, it speaks about not just wisdom as this abstract concept. It says the spirit of wisdom will come to you. Paul says, I pray that you may receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom in chapter 1 says, if you, if you listen to my warning and my rebuke, I will pour out my spirit in you and you will understand my words. It's, it's something that's actually given to us in a spiritual sense. And wisdom has to come from not just asking, but an acknowledgement that you and I lack it, like Solomon did. He could have assumed that he could have done this. He's like, I see my dad do it all his life, I can figure it out. No! He was humble and broken before God to say, I'm like a child governing a people. You need to help me, God. And God says, I love that humility. Here's some wisdom. And what's beautiful about wisdom, especially those that are younger in years, it's not limited to age. 
Here's another misconception about wisdom. Only older people are wise and younger people are fools. Generally, that's true. But there are some young people that can be categorized and known and recognized as wise. Because if they seek God for it, God is able to give it to them. And let me make another remark. Just because you're old doesn't mean you're wise. There's a lot of people who are born fools, live as fools, and die as fools. Well, they have more experience. doesn't mean you learn from experience. You can have many experiences and never learn from them and die as a fool. So that's a wonderful thing. I, I, don't have to, I don't wait to have the gray hairs before I'm known as wise. I can be wise now. I can be a Daniel now. I can be a Joseph now. And I can walk in a wisdom that will guide me through my life. That's what wisdom is all about. Listen again, the context of Proverbs is a father speaking to his son. Get it in you as young as possible. The sooner the better. Asking God, James 1.5 tells us plainly that he is willing to give it to us if we ask without doubting. In other words, I have to believe that this thing called wisdom can be directly given to me and affect me in a spiritual sense. You want to know a crazy thing about wisdom? That you don't need experience necessarily to get it. It's part of it, but not limited to it. You can have something of a knowledge and ability to make decisions before you even walk in it in experience. And you're hearing this and you're saying, you're making it sound like wisdom is a supernatural thing. It is a supernatural thing. And that's why you can look at a young person and you can say, that person, though they haven't walked in life, they seem like they're 50 years old. They seem like they talk like they've done things and they experience things. Even though they have it, they don't have that record in their testimony. Why? Because they've tapped into a source called wisdom. I must have the fear of God. I must ask the Lord. And here it gets really practical. I must learn from experience. Well, you just said that experience doesn't matter. No, experience does matter. It does matter. And what I mean by learning from experience is not just your own. Learning from other people's successes and failures. So in Proverbs 4.1, look what it says. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. And be attentive that you may gain insight. So again, it's that context, it's that relationship established, voicing the book of Proverbs. I'm a son hearing from my father. Now, what does my father have that I don't have? He has experience. He has scars. He has past things that he's been a part of. He's been exposed to more than you have. And we are invited, the same Holy Spirit that says, ask God for wisdom, says, now look at other people and get it from them as well. And I, I, I must be able to learn how to get older people in my life and ask them some questions. If you're going to ask anybody about relationships, it's wise to ask people who have been through it. If you're going to ask anybody about practical things such as purchasing a home, it's probably best to talk to somebody who's done it. All these things are very simple, but sometimes we surround ourselves with those who have not advanced in life just in years and we limit our resources based on our relationships, and we cut ourselves short. But here we see a father speaking to his son, and the son must be attentive and willing to receive. You know you're walking in wisdom when you know how to ask questions. Don't think that wisdom is you having it all figured out because you received it from the Lord, and now you know how to. That's not what wisdom is very practical, and achieving it is very practical. Ask questions. Make a phone call. Humble yourself and call your parents and ask. Well, my parents aren't, okay. 
I don't have a relationship with my parents. Okay, talk to a spiritual parent. All these things God has given us as well as to tap into. But not just from people's successes, from people's failures. Go near the end of the book of Proverbs. Look at verse 24. Chapter 24, excuse me, of verse 30. Look what it says. It says, I passed by the field of a sluggard, a lazy person, a slothful person. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Look what it says in verse 32. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. This man is taking a walk, and he sees one of his neighbors, and his field is not kept. The man was a slugger. The man was probably sleeping in that day, and he was sleeping in for that whole year. And he looked at it, he considered, and he received instructions. Here's another mark of a wise person. That you don't necessarily learn from your own failures. You avoid failure by learning from other people's failures. That's a mark of a wise person. And there's many ways of doing that. And I can tell you my context, one of the greatest treasures in my life, ready for this, are biographies. Biographies, especially in the context of those who are in ministry. Picking up books of people who have lived for Christ in the context of ministry and the biographies being honest enough to speak about their successes and failures. And I can tell you that I've learned from those books more than I can say in some seminaries. And even seminaries will tell you that the way you're going to learn true ministry is when you get into ministry. The way you're going to learn about swimming is not you studying about water and about how it's resistant and how you have to flap this way and move that you get in the pool. You don't learn about boxing, about studying about the weight of this and that and how you, know. you get in the ring and get punched in the face. That's how you learn about boxing. But at the same time, when it comes to experience, I can avoid failure by looking at other people who have passed on in life and have been honest like Moses who declared his failure to the Israelites and saying, listen, I messed up. I'm not going into the promised land. Don't make the same mistake I did. He says it three times in the first four chapters of Deuteronomy. I messed up. I messed up. I messed up. What is he trying to get across? Don't mess up because I messed up. It's as simple as that. And I glean from that and I learn from that and, and I, I take it and I, I turn it into a prayer. Lord, don't let me make the same mistake. Don't let me make the same mistake. Because every person that's ever fallen from a public ministry if you want to learn anything from that, it comes to this primary point. They have neglected their secret time with the Lord. You read that in biographies. You read that in different stories. And so again, now you receive instruction as you observe even failures. Be observant. Be watchful. Ask questions. Fourthly, not just learning from experience, from a distance. Because you can learn from experience from a distance, from a book. From asking questions. That's not what it's limited to. Fourthly, surround yourself with wise people. Surround yourself with wise people. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes what? Wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. A companion of fools suffers harm. If you're going to make any choice in life, make it concerning this. That you will be able to identify a person who longs to live a successful life the way we've defined it this morning, 
who longs to make every decision to glorify God in order to, yes, glorify him, but increase their joy and protect them from unnecessary evils. Surround yourself with such people, and what will happen is you will be able to see wisdom played out in real life. And what will happen is what they carry will rub off on you because the things that they will discuss and the things that they will implement and the conversations that they have and all these things will be observable and will be imitatable long enough. So I want to surround myself with people who fear God because I know that they have at least the beginning of wisdom. And I want to surround my, myself with people who have a reputation from others based on their conversation, based on their promise-keeping abilities, based on the fact that they, they know how to socially interact. They know what to say, when to say, what not to say, when not to say it. I want to surround myself with people who are financially smart. Hang around with spenders and what's, what's going to happen to you? Very simple. In fact, the Bible gets so detailed to say, don't hang around with an angry person unless you become like him. Even an angry person. This is how contagious things are. I, I want to surround myself with people who have a plan for their future. Who think about the days ahead. Who don't just live in the present but know what's coming and are preparing to some degree. I want to be around such people. And by doing so, it will be able to influence me. Hang around with fools. You'll live day by day not caring about anything concerning what's coming ahead. And you will realize the failure of such a decision in your younger years. Lastly, gaining wisdom. Very simple one. Eat. Eat the word of God. Psalms 19.7 tells us plain and clear. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. This book will provide you an understanding of wisdom, practical application of wisdom, and a daily reminder of the need for wisdom. Everything that we talked about wisdom came from this, by the way. So if we're going to grow in it, we're going to have to come to the source. And believe that if the Spirit of God is going to give you a wisdom, it's also primarily going to come through this. Because even principles here that don't apply to specific contexts, the principles alone will be able to help you filter and make decisions. It's a complex subject, but it's more real when you experience it than when you try to explain it. Wisdom is a very difficult thing to try to explain. But what's wonderful is that even Proverbs is divided in 31 chapters. And so I, if I choose in my disciplines on top of my reading to just read a chapter a day on top of what I read, you know what I'm doing to myself? I'm filling my wisdom tank. I don't know about you, I forget things easily. Even if I've memorized a portion of scripture, if I don't keep up with it, I lose it. So to have this discipline, if that's what you choose to do, and to just be reminded of certain things that will speak to you in a fresh way. Just nuggets of wisdom that will be able to chew on throughout your day. I'm just going to give you an example. Just recently, and it's what's amazing is that even if you read this daily, there are things that pop out that you, you, you're going to run out of space to highlight. Let me put it that way. And the things that you didn't highlight, like, how did I not highlight that? And you highlight it. You think to yourself, I'm going to run out of room of highlighting. Here's an example, just from reading the other day. 
In Proverbs 26, verse 27, these are one of the things that were not highlighted. I'm just being transparent. Sermon notes are here. This is just random. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. I said, wow. Whoever starts a stone from rolling, even if it's going in the opposite, even if it's going downhill, it's going to find its way back and roll on you. What's the application? You want to start a rumor? You want to start a gossip? You want to start trouble and think that it's going in the opposite direction of who you are? That rock is going to find its way back and crumble on you. I'm not going to start issues here. Because the Bible says it's going to come back on you. You dig a pit for somebody else to fall in it, you are somehow, it's a law, are going to find a way to fall into that very pit. There's my daily wisdom. Don't start things. And there's other proverbs that says when things are starting, don't get involved with those things. Just practical wisdom. Practical wisdom. Sometimes we get so caught up, pray 24 hours a day, and, and all these different things. It's wonderful. But listen, we're practical. And it comes to reading the Word of God. Daily reminders of wisdom are necessary. And this is what I want to say in closing. That no matter where you are in life right now, even up to this point, if you yourself know that you've made very foolish decisions, if you yourself know that if you're honest, you're very simple even. And a fool, according to the Bible, is simply a person. It's not an insult necessarily. It is, but it's not necessarily just for the sake of insulting. A fool is a person that does not govern his life by the convictions of this word. That's a fool. So even if your whole life you've been living as a fool, the beautiful thing about wisdom is that it's still crying out for those to come and feast at her table. Read Proverbs, and what you see continually is wisdom cries aloud in the streets. How long will you live simply? How long will you live foolishly? How long will you see the value that wisdom is presented in the scriptures? How God praises it. How wisdom was even with God in the beginning of creation. And through wisdom, God planted the foundation of the world. And called the seed to stop at this limit. And raised the mountains to a certain height. And is able to feed this place with a system of organization that demands a designer behind the design. Come. And receive it. Let me ask you this very practical question. When was the last time that you asked God for wisdom? God, give me wisdom to know how to live as a Christian in my workplace. Give me wisdom to know how to make this purchase for this home. Give me wisdom to know how to make and discipline my children. Lord, give me wisdom to know how to do life. God is willing to bestow it upon us. Give me wisdom to know how to do ministry. Give me wisdom to know how to counsel. Give me wisdom to know how to be a friend to those that are not necessarily believers. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. I don't have the experience. I don't have the ability to say, look, I've been through it, so I know what you're going through. But give me wisdom to be able to speak life into somebody as though it was coming from God directly. These things are for you. And for me, it's our inheritance as children of God. But it is not automatically deposited until we ask. Let's pray. It's only appropriate to, to ask God for what we've been asking. In this text, in this message. For wisdom. Ask the Lord for that. 
And maybe there's a situation in life, in life right now that you don't have answers for. Ask God for wisdom. And as we pray and ask God, Lord, deposit this in my life. We're going to worship in a moment. But just stay in that place and say, Lord, I want to be marked by this. I want to be marked by this attribute. I want to walk as a person that is wise. God, help me fear you. Help me fear you, Lord. If I don't fear you, then I know I can't, I can't grow in this. Lay the foundation in my heart to have the fear of God. And Lord, here I am. I'm in a transition of my life. I need wisdom. I'm going to face this person. I need wisdom. I'm in a dilemma with my finances. I need wisdom. Wisdom. 